Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father God, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would help us to concentrate. We pray that you would uh, show us Jesus in your word and that uh, seeing him, we would worship him with joy and delight and uh, this vision would change our lives. For your glory we pray and in the name of Jesus, amen. The Ten Commandments, he said, are a code of living to which there's no refutation. These precepts correspond to irrefragable needs of the human soul. They're inspired by the best religious spirit, and the churches here support themselves on a solid foundation. It's not often that I would begin a sermon with a quotation from Adolf Hitler. Uh, they were recorded uh, by uh, Martin Bormann, those words. Martin Bormann, one of uh, Adolf Hitler's sort of key henchmen in the Third Reich. And they were extemporary remarks made in the early hours of the morning, late at night, sometime between July 1941 and June 1942. We want something that uh, Hitler actually wrote rather than these uh, extemporary remarks recorded by someone else. Uh, mein Kampf, Hitler said that his Jewish policy, in this regard, he was acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. Now, Hitler was a liar, but he cloaked his lies with piety. Most people are not so bold, yet many do cloak evil with pious words. In fact, according to Jesus here, this uh, is a particular strategy of evil, or the evil one, as it puts it in the footnote uh, of the ESV, in, uh, referring to verse 37 there. That is, to hide evil intent behind Bold as brass religious oaths. Now, the situation at the time of Jesus was something like this. There were religious teachers who were saying that if you use the right words or 
put your vow in uh, the right, with the right kind of phrases, but not actually follow through with that oath. As long as you use the right kind of uh, vows, the right kind of words, you would not actually be uh, genuinely lying. So if you swore by heaven, you could break that vow, but not if you swore by God's name himself. <laughs> if you look with me at Matthew 23, I hope you've got your Bibles open. Turn with, you, with me to Matthew 23, and you'll find there uh, Jesus' whole series of uh, declarations of woe, of, of judgment against false religious teachers and their teaching. And in verse 16 of 23, he says this, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? It's religious gobbledygook. It's using religious language to hide behind. Now, sometimes when people look at this uh, passage we had just uh, read out by John, they, 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 they look at this and they just think, well, this is just about oath-taking. Uh, but it's actually more than that. This is, this is not just about oath-taking. That's not really the point of this passage. The, the Bible has plenty of examples of people taking oaths in ways that are legitimate. In fact, uh, God himself, uh, we're told, takes an oath. By himself, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 talks about this. Uh, God takes an oath by himself to, to elicit our faith in his promise that it is certain and sure, as certain as he is himself certain. And uh, Paul writes at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, for God is my witness. It's, it's a kind of oath. For God is my witness, as God is my witness, whom I serve in the gospel of his Son, Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. It's a kind of oath. As God is my witness. So the, po the point here is not simply oath-taking. The point is using pious language to lie. I remember one well-known preacher who had a particular gift for words. He was charismatic. He was eminently pious. He was a florid orator. He had intellectual gifts at a high level. He willingly took a relatively low salary, and he drove a small car. And I remember uh, one particular moral issue came up for conversation with him and how he clearly explained the right way according to God's Word. And I remember finding out later that at that very time, he was living the wrong way. Gobbledygook. It's an interesting word for this tendency that uh, we have in our lives and in our society and even in our churches. Gobbledygook was a word first used by Maury Maverick, congressman from Texas in 1944. He was particularly critical of the obscure language that some committee members of the U.S. Congress Small Plants Committee were using. He was alluding to the sound that a turkey makes. He put it like this uh, about this, these committee members. They were always gobbledy-gobbling and strutting with ludicrous pomposity. <laughs> now, none of us would do anything like that, would we? Never sing words that we do not mean. Pray words we do not mean. 
preach words we do not mean? Never intone a creed that we do not mean? Or take a vow before God of marriage? Or of membership of a church that we do not mean? Now, in this uh, famous Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, is, uh, it is, of course, a sermon. That is, it's full of words. And at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming to say to us, be careful with words. Don't use religious words to hide evil intent, to, to hide behind them thinking that if we say something pious, it's the same as actually living as someone pious. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, say what you mean, mean what you say. Let's have an end to religious gobbledygook, in fact. Well, what sort of religious gobbledygook do we have today? Actually, it seems to me we actually have quite a lot, and some of it is, you know, quite funny. We've perhaps not yet uh, risen to the level of the, of the Mishnah, the oral tradition of the rabbis that uh, is meant to have come from around this time and before and a little bit afterwards. The Mishnah has, is broken up into different tractates, uh, chapters, and there's one whole tractate that is given to oath-taking, and a the rabbi there says, uh, if we swear by Jerusalem, you're not bound by the oath, but if you swear toward Jerusalem, then you are. Now, we don't do that kind of thing. But I wonder whether we've developed it to a different level or in a different way. They had artificial and elaborate rules that uh, they could hide God while sounding pious. Well, we don't do that. But I wonder whether we develop artificial and elaborate terminology that hides God while sounding pious. The language of Zion. You know what I mean, don't you? Hey, brother, equals, I cannot for the life of me remember your name. <laughs> or, um, oh yeah, I'll pray for you about that. You know, there is a difference between saying you're going to pray for someone about something and actually praying for someone about something. The difference? Well, practical you know, discipline, writing it down and remembering to do it. But somewhere at root, there's a difference is, at source, the difference is believing that God really will make a difference when you pray. We have uh, tribal buzzwords in uh, the Christian community that indicate which particular subsection of Christendom we belong to. You know, we're gospel-centered or... God-centered, or we're missional, or we're reformed, or we're seeker-sensitive. They're sort of labels like, uh, like uh, brands. They're a sort of form of oath, you know, without necessarily uh, devoting our lives to God, or necessarily being driven by the grace of the gospel in reality, or necessarily reaching our neighbors for Jesus, or even actually knowing our neighbors for Jesus. You know, you can say uh, justification, sanctification, sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura, but the sole thing in common is it doesn't make much difference to what we actually do. 
Our yes is not yes, nor our no, no. It's yes with uh, fingers crossed behind our backs. We use uh, special religious oath-like words, and I wonder whether sometimes we've used them for so long we've actually forgotten what they truly mean. Think of some very well-known hymns. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we sing it at the same time. We're thinking, how on earth can that person come to church not looking smart or wearing nice clothes? A wretch like me? Or we sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with thee. At the same time, we're wondering, how, how on earth are we going to survive now that our children are growing up and leaving our house? We're empty nesters. We better fill our lives with a midlife crisis, stopping drug like sex or money or work. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Or we sing, uh, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. At the same time playing a sort of uh, internet porn loop in our minds. Our chains fell off, our heart was free. It's religious gobbledygook, isn't it? And God's not pleased with it. In fact, Jesus says here that the, the real source of this, in the end, is, uh, is evil. It, it, for it can promote worse things, you see. By hiding reality, it prevents us addressing the truth. We begin to use words as silver bullets to do what we need to get done, whether or not we really believe them or connect to them or are changed by them or even sometimes understand them, if we're honest. Uh, one preacher of the Word of Faith movement says this, you can change your world by changing your words. But, of course, that's not true, is it? If you just change your words, you just change your words. It must be a heart change. Otherwise, it's religious gobbledygook. There is, in fact, I think, in society at large, even a general principle here. Gore Vidal wrote this, as societies grow decadent, the language grows decadent too. Words are used to disguise, not to illuminate action. Words are used to confuse so that at election time, people will solemnly vote against their own interests. <laughs> There's one important essay that was written by George Orwell that anyone who's interested in reading, teaching, or speaking English should, should look at, and I guess most of us are interested in either reading, teaching, or speaking English. Um, and his essay is called Politics and the English Language. He says this, The slovenliness of our language makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts. He has a lot of very funny um, quotations from it. The one I want to use, though, is one when he quotes from the Bible. So he says, Here's a well-known verse from Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and the verse is this, I returned and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. And then he says, here it is in modern English. Objective considerations of contemporary phenomena compels the conclusion that success or failure in competitive activities exhibits no tendency to commensurate with innate capacity, but that a considerable element of the unpredictable must invariably be taken into account. 
Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It can be funny. Uh, Jesus here says, uh, you know, don't swear by your head. You can't even make one hair white or black, you know. Perhaps he hadn't heard of Rogaine. I, I, but. What are you using words to hide? Swear by heaven, but um, not when you swear toward heaven. If you do that, then you break your vow, then you are lying, but not if you're doing the other one. Congressman of the House of Representatives said, Never before have I heard such ill-informed, wimpy, backstabbing drivel as that just uttered by my respected colleague, the distinguished gentleman from Ohio. <laughs> it can be funny. It can be gently amusing. Parody of uh, our natural desires for all of us not to want to be exposed in the community, but to, to hide our weakness and our sinfulness and our Humanity. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt at his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island, one time entertained a delegation that uh, came during one of his uh, campaigns, and he was there to show that he was a real man of the people, and, and so he rolled up his sleeves and had the meeting down in the barn while he was meant to be working, and he picked up a pitchfork, but there was no hay, and so he called up, John, where's all the hay? Sorry, sir, John called down from the hayloft. I ain't had time to toss it back again after you pitched it up while the Iowa folks were here. Now, none of us are perfect in this regard, but we are to aim for it. Look at verse 48. Aim for perfection. We are to use words straightforwardly. That's what it means. Truthfully, without hiding behind special religious jargon. Jesus is saying it's an evil, uh, there's an evil in this tendency of ours. And therefore it's important we put an end to religious gobbledygook. And I guess every one of us recognizes this somewhere. Anyone who's ever been lied to, it's only a white lie, they said. Or deceived, or had a car sold to them for too high a price, or insurance or religion in a fake way so that we are inoculated against the real true God. And my guess is, in a congregation this large, there'll be some people here who have heard so much about God, and so much of it has been spoken in a religious jargon kind of way, that uh, they're almost as if it were immune against encountering the real God himself. Yet Jesus wants us to see the God behind our religious lies about God, the true God, the God who is Jesus, speaking the truth. How do we get there? Well, an evil must be removed for us to hear straight and speak straight. Socrates uh, is uh, said to have remarked, uh, we don't know for sure, of course, because he didn't write as all records of what he said, but Socrates is meant to have remarked false words are not only evil in themselves, but they infect the soul with evil. Now, why is that? Why, why is this all from the evil one or from evil? Why, why does it go back to evil? Why is it from evil? Well, it goes all the way in the journey back to the garden. 
Adam and Eve supplanted God's good rule by their original doubts that that rule was truly good. And the first result, religious gobbledygook. So the Lord God calls out to man, doesn't he? Where are you? And he's looking for straightforward communication, relationship, true words, yes, being yes, no, being no. And the man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Religious gobbledygook. He wasn't afraid because he was naked. He was afraid because he disobeyed God and that had made him realize his nakedness before the holy God. Well, what is uh, the solution? What is the end to religious gobbledygook? Well, to see that, we need to see where this story ends. So if you turn with me to Matthew 26 and uh, verses 62 to 64. And you'll see there Jesus himself commanded to speak on uh, oath. And there are the religious rulers, the experts in religious gobbledygook, gathered, and uh, they have formed an illegal council to accuse Jesus. They've gathered up, trumped up crimes against him on the basis of lying witnesses, more religious gobbledygook. I wonder, as I, as I think of this uh, end to the story, what would have happened if one person, just one, have been willing and able to speak the truth. We're jealous. That's why uh, we're crucifying this person. We, do, we don't want our position or our status taken away by the Roman rulers. We're scared of what will happen to us if this movement continues. And that's why we're attacking this person. He's done nothing. We all know it. But they could not or did not or would not. And many false witnesses uh, come forward spouting religiously cloaked lies. This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, taking what he said and twisting it piously, gobbly, gobbly, goo. And finally, at last, the high priest himself uh, gets involved. The great religious leader, the great guru, the, the high priest of uh, the most religious of ages in the most religious of cities, the power of the powers that be. And he, he comes up to Jesus, doesn't he? Come on, aren't you going to answer? He's looking, we're looking to get you on record now as claiming to be someone greater than just a human. A blasphemy charge, that's what we're looking for. We, we have these blasphemy laws. Can we just trip you up in your words with religiously cloaked piety and then we can kill you in the name of Almighty God? But seeing as Jesus would not play ball, but remain silent, the high priest, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Oath by the high priest offered to Jesus, most solemnly charged to go along with 
religiously cloaked, piously formulated, barbarous lies. As you say, Jesus, going to the place prepared for him to rescue all of us priests, liars, piously cloaked deceivers. In the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Truth spoken, religious gobbledygook ended. In Christ, at the cross, in his death, resurrection, and coming return, where there will be no hiding behind words. It is time to fall beneath his nail-pierced feet. It is time to kiss his nail-pierced hands. It's time to look up at his crowned with thorns head. It's time to end pretense. End piously cloaked words that hide evil. To end religious gobbledygook. To come and watch him die for you, for me, that we might have all our evil words and thoughts and deeds ended. By his end. And so we might make a new beginning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray as we come now to this uh, remembrance and celebration of your sacrifice that we would find in its end, an end to deceit and fake religion by the power of the blood of the cross. be renewed to serve you in truth and therefore in life. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.